Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. Katrina Blowers and Tom Tilly here with you. So we live on the driest inhabited continent on earth. Uh, I guess it's no surprise that water security is shaping up as one of the biggest challenges we're going to face in the next few decades. But Tom, how we create cheap drinking water has become really controversial. I guess if you've been to places like London and California, you might know that they recycle and drink their wastewater. This is cheap. It's perfectly safe. But here in Australia, we can't seem to get over the ick factor and states where I live, like Queensland, are even spending billions of dollars on new desalination plants, which are going to add more to our water bills uh, because residents just can't get over this stigma. What we haven't been able to do so far in Australia is cross this threshold into using uh, recycled water for drinking water. I think that's inevitable. So getting our heads around a new age of drinking water, where it will come from, that is our briefing topic in the second half of the show. First, here are the headlines. It is Monday the 6th of November. Yeah, starting with a tragic car crash in country Victoria where a BMW SUV ploughed into a beer garden outside a pub in Dalesford, killing five people, including a six-year-old boy, a teenage girl, two men and a woman. So this crash where a car has driven through a roundabout happened at around six o'clock last night. I haven't seen something um, this drastic um, for, for a long time. I mean, any time you have, you know, five people die at a particular uh, scene, um, you know, it's, it's a terrible, it's, it's absolutely horrible. Yeah, so that's the police superintendent, John Fitzpatrick, responding to what he saw there. Another boy was flown to hospital with critical injuries, three others injured, and the 66-year-old man behind the wheel was also taken to hospital. Apparently, it was just one of those beautiful, perfect nights. The sun had just set. It was busy because it was just one of those really lovely times to be out and about. And and then this happened. I mean, how absolutely gut-wrenching. At this stage, they don't know what caused the crash. Police say that early investigations show excessive speed wasn't a factor, though. Polling shows support for the Albanese government is sliding. The latest news poll in The Australian, which is the first since the referendum, shows the gap between the Prime Minister and Liberal leader Peter Dutton has narrowed. Albo is still preferred Prime Minister at 46% to Dutton's 36%. Uh, obviously, they're leading by 10 points, but in July, Albanese had a 25-point lead. Coalition is now leading Labor on the primary vote, 37% to 35%. Really interesting also, I guess, when you consider the federal election was held in May last year, the impact that the voice has had on this latest set of figures is is pretty full on. Yeah, well, the honeymoon does always have to end for a new government. And I think the, the honeymoon for the Albanese government actually went on for quite a while, but um, it's certainly over now. You look at the two-party preferred, which is a really handy, simple way to look at it. They were up 54 to 46. That's come back two points, 52 to 48. So as you said, they're still ahead. Uh, I think... What's really to come for the government and their survival is how they handle this cost of living crisis and, you know, potentially further rises in interest rates, which are really hurting homeowners and mortgagees. If they wear the blame for that pain, if that pain gets really bad, 
that will really start to hurt the Albanese government. But I think so far, people realise a lot of those factors are outside the government's control. I think that's what definitely differentiates this cost of living crisis and and rate rise climate to previous ones where people have piled on the government of the day and blamed them for those decisions. Um, This sort of argument, people are much more educated and, and it's much more nuanced this time around. Yeah. So the other big political story this week is Anthony Albanese in China. He's going to meet the Chinese President Xi Jinping in Beijing today. Um, he met the Chinese Premier in Shanghai yesterday and encouraged him to lift China's trade barriers on Australian goods. One in four of Australian jobs depends on exports. And more than one in four of Australia's export dollars are from China. And therefore, uh, this is a critical relationship. Yeah, and so China are winding back some of those sanctions, including sanctions on Australian wine. Um, but obviously, we're making the case to remove all the sanctions, including on rock lobsters. Yeah, and I think, you know, we were just talking about the the polling numbers there, but I think Anthony Albanese's mind is going to be much more focused on this very tricky relationship that uh, he's got a reboot. Um, it's been seven years since an Australian Prime Minister set foot in China, so Malcolm Turnbull was the last one to visit there, and yeah, Anthony Albanese's got a lot resting on his shoulders. Speaking of former leaders going overseas, uh, former Prime Minister Scott Morrison and UK former Prime Minister Boris Johnson have both gone to Israel to show their support. Uh, They're there visiting communities that were attacked by the Hamas militants and getting a better understanding of what's happened on the ground there. Meanwhile, a dozen Australians have landed in Sydney overnight among 25 people who fled Gaza when a key border crossing with Egypt opened last week, while others flew into Adelaide and Melbourne on Saturday. Uh, The federal government is still working to get 67 citizens, permanent residents and family members out of the conflict zone. All right, we're going to head into our briefing topic now of shoring up water security and whether we need to get our heads around what some people think is a bit of an icky thing, drinking recycled wastewater. When you think about drinking recycled wastewater... How does it make you feel? Honestly, if you've travelled a lot overseas and you've been to places like LA or Singapore or London, you've probably unknowingly slurped some down. But here in Australia, opinion polls consistently show we're not ready for drinking treated wastewater. Just recently, the Queensland government announced it will build a new desalination plant worth billions of dollars, the cost of which will be passed on to residents' bills. But Queenslanders are okay with that because it will mean they don't have to drink recycled drinking water instead. Will Farger is the director of Aether, who specialises in water policy and water markets, and he joins us on The Briefing now. Will, thanks so much for joining us on The Briefing. First of all, talk to us about the idea of water security. I think when we think about that, we often think about some dystopian Mad Max kind of future, but how important is it that we need to start addressing this now? How far off is it that this is going to be a problem? When we talk about water security, it's important not to think about it as a single point in time issue. Uh, Water security means being able to meet water needs over a longer period of time and 
particularly in Australia, under increasingly variable supply and demand conditions. So as part of that, water needs is not just the quantity issue, which is where our mind you know, often goes to. That's the Mad Max you know, scenario of arguing over the last litre of water. There are other dimensions, including quality, affordability and access that all come together in terms of how we can meet needs. For us in Australia, meeting those needs in a way that's economically efficient, as well as financially and environmentally sustainable and resilient to future shocks is the key criteria for us to think about over the long term. And so we can't say today we're not water secure. You know, we've got good water availability, but what we need to be confident in is going beyond that to say, look, under a whole range of future scenarios, we're confident that we've got the systems and processes in place to meet those needs. And that's water security. Is it also due to shifting population bases? For example, a lot of people during the pandemic and and straight afterwards moved from southern states up to northern states. Does that put pressure on our water security as well? Yeah, it certainly does because there's two sides to the water security equation. There's supply and demand. And so we are often fixated on the supply side and the challenges to the supply side in terms of seasonal conditions, and we're heading into what looks like another strong El Nino uh, summer this year, which will bring on you know, short-term challenges for water availability. Over the longer term, we're dealing with the increased variability and temperatures associated with climate change. But on the demand side, we're equally under pressure, as you say, with a growing and changing population. So increased urbanisation, particularly in areas like southeast Queensland, will significantly increased demand in those areas and could equally result in the same challenges to water security as declining rainfall or or surface water availability. Just in um, that southeast pocket, it's been announced uh, in Queensland that a second desal plant is going to be built at a cost of about $8 billion, which is a huge, you know, infrastructure cost. There already is a desal plant on the Gold Coast that's never really been used to capacity. Is that an indication that the modelling that's been done shows that these desal plants are going to be quite vital in the future. Yeah, I think that's a safe assumption. Um, they won't be the sole source of supply, but they will be an important part of the portfolio of water supply to service an area like southeast Queensland. You mentioned that the plant there hasn't been used to capacity, and quite often we won't see plants always used to capacity. Um, desalination provides an important insurance against declining storage levels. And we see that in a whole host of of cities across Australia. So we've got desal plants in place in in Melbourne, Sydney, southeast Queensland, as you mentioned, uh, Perth, Adelaide. And the extent of their operation is going to depend on the local climate um, and then weather conditions in any particular season. And so over the last three years, we've seen a historically unusual sequence of um, three wetter years under La Nina conditions. And so, you know, it stands to reason that we, we haven't drawn on those assets as much as we would have in drier years. But even if you look over the last five to 10 years where desalination has been in place in a lot of those um, areas that I've just mentioned, you know, there are cities that would have faced real water security challenges uh, in the absence of, of desal. So we're clearly 
going to see looking ahead, the drivers for desal continue, and we've mentioned the impacts of climate change, population growth, uh, et cetera. And it's likely that as a result, desalination plants will be used more frequently because they are unique in terms of their climate independence. You know, they are one of the most technically feasible, large-scale climate-independent options for new water supply. Um, and so they will, it's fair to, fair to say, be an important part of the portfolio going forward. It interests me that desal is the kind of go-to option for, for so many state governments in Australia when it is so expensive and um, that cost is um, often passed on or some of that cost is passed on to consumers with higher water bills. Recycling water, so recycling wastewater, seems to be a cheaper option, but then there's that ick factor that a lot of Australians seem to have, even though in places like London and California, where a lot of Aussies have probably travelled and unwittingly drunk some recycled water, um, they're doing it just fine. What's your view on that? Why is Australia kind of using desal rather than that recycled water as the dominant option? Yeah, so there's a few issues to unpack there. Um, why do we use desal over water recycling? One, because climate events continue to highlight that historical approaches to modelling water security might be underestimating the challenge of of ensuring against more frequent and severe climate scenarios. So, so we continue to kind of see uh, a sequence of of events in our climate that exceeds our traditional understanding or historical parameters for drought and reduction in water supply. And that makes water planners nervous, and reasonably so. We need to have insurance in place that's climate independent. And water recycling is a good option for reusing and increasing the efficiency of the use of a given amount of water supply, but it's not bringing in new water supply into a system. And so they're, they're different in that way. But we've mentioned a portfolio approach, and they water recycling assets are an important part of that portfolio. And we see them in place in Australia, including in southeast Queensland, where water recycling is being used to supply industry. What we haven't been able to do so far in Australia is, as you say, cross this threshold into using uh, recycled water for drinking water. I think that's inevitable. I think that as we continue to look at a drying climate and increasing variability and growing population and increasing demand from agriculture, the call to return water to the environment, to make water resources available for Indigenous uh, use, those competing demands will increase pressure on a scarce resource and we're going to need to look at using water in ways that we haven't, uh, including recycled water. How do we do that? You mentioned the ick factor. There is a public perception issue that needs to be addressed. The role of governments and water utilities and stakeholder groups, and that is really important because the technology is there. The technology that we have with multiple treatment trains or processes for disinfecting and cleaning water is just incredible. We are so advanced in our water treatment now, including in desalination. The membranes are so fine at taking out so much out of water that the product we're left with is so pure that we need to remineralize it to bring it up to drinking water. And this is the same in water recycling. You know, it's an extremely well-tested and validated process, including, as you say, in, in areas like uh, the US. And I don't think we have any other option. 
except to head in that direction over time. How that process is managed um, is going to be an interesting challenge of public engagement and communication. So you see a future in which we're getting our water from all kinds of different places. It's a bit of desal, a bit of recycled, a bit of, you know, traditional what we're doing right now. We just need to be flexible. Yeah, that, that will be the key. That will be the key to water security in a way that is, as I say, economically efficient, financially sustainable and environmentally uh, responsible. Noting that, as you've said, different options have different capital investment, they have different cost, they have different cost of operation, and they have different benefits, they have different characteristics. So this is why we talk about a portfolio approach when it comes to the supply of water in urban areas uh, and in agriculture. We've always seen this in agriculture where people have balanced the use of surface water with groundwater using water markets or on-farm storage. In urban areas, we're similarly seeing a a portfolio approach um, where traditional surface water obtained from rivers and dams is being augmented by groundwater in some locations, by recycled water, by desalination, and then a whole host of water efficiency measures on the demand side. The challenge is that that increases the sophistication of decision-making when it comes to investment and operations. And so we just need to increase our sophistication when it comes to planning and investment decision-making. And all options need to be on the table. And that was Will Fager, who's the director of Aether and a water policy expert. Listener.